This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 69 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. And Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have two women that are just amazing at what they do on top of a horse and actually what they do around horses. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you doing? Uh, good, Coach Jen. I wanted to hear how you were you were catching up and going along with Nigel, and uh, so I'm, I'm just going to throw you in the deep end. Tell me what you've been working Because, you know, it's exciting listening to the progress you're making with this new family friend. Well, it's been about six months now, I think. Well, we got, him in, we got him in March. March, okay. March, April, May, June, so it's four months. Um, Only four months. Four months. So we're getting to know each other a little bit more now. So um, what I've been working on a lot of late is teaching Nigel to catch me. Catch you. Uh, yes. We, okay. we, we talked about a little while ago, don't go catch your horse. Teach your horse to catch you. Right. Right. That's and when I Did first, you have trouble in the, in the reminder? Well, when I first got Nigel, uh, Nigel is not one to run away. He just, he's Good. not, you know, he's a pretty low energy guy. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> pretty low energy guy. He doesn't get high energy anything until something terrifying is happening in the sky. Oh, no. then, then all hell breaks loose. But, um, so, but he was prone to walking away from me. He just kind of pick his head up from the grass and look behind him. He's like, "Oh, here she comes. She might go riding. I think I'm going to walk away." Just you about know. ten feet. Further. Yeah, just a little, ten feet subtle, but like he was letting me know what he was thinking. Um, and that got a little bit better. But then he would just stand there, and I would have to go and find him and drag his head up out of the grass. It's like, well, this sucks. Don't want to do that all the time. I want to try this. So I've been hot working. in Florida in July. It's hot in Florida in July, exactly. Um, and I want the horse to see me coming and go, Oh, hi, how you doing? Let's hang out together. Yeah. And with Nigel, because he does he has what I call horsey low self-esteem. Oh, he right. likes being with other horses. He's not so herd sour that he needs to be with the horse. But he likes to be surrounded by other horses. And if he's not, he worries. The ears go up. The adrenaline goes up. He thinks there might be a predator around. And I want him to understand that I can be there, and that's just as good having an, as having another horse around. You're herd. Yeah. Uh, he's herd. And I figured if he can make that connection that he wants to come to me in the pasture, that means he's developing that type of a relationship with me. Because nice. that's what he would do yeah. to another horse, right? Right. So this is going to be important for a horse who lacks that self-confidence versus my other horse, Beaker, who's like, no, I'm not going to come to you. But he was the most confident horse in the whole wide world. You could take every other horse on the planet and they would go away and he was cool with me. Yeah, that's a nice relationship. It was a very different relationship and a very different horse. So Mm -hmm. I've been working on using my body language again. I don't do round pen work with him and and stuff like that. This is – I'm a very casual trainer in that respect because – for various reasons. Yeah. But I've been using my body language. I watched some of the videos on Monty's University. And okay. I've been using my body language so that, you know, you go into the pasture in the morning. He's standing there at the gate because he wants to come in, right? That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just close the gate behind me and walk away. And if he doesn't want to come with me, 
he doesn't, then I have to turn and I have to put some pressure on him to make him move. Perfect. And what do you do? What part of your body are you doing that pressure with? I get my body square to his. Good. And I usually have my lead rope with me and I'll just use the lead rope to toss it towards him. Okay. Towards the middle of his body. I found that just using my arms and my body language, nothing happens. What about your eyes? My eyes, I have to, I have to keep my eyes square on him because if I look away, he's like, you don't mean it. Yeah. (laughs) He's got that. He's like, you don't mean that. I can tell. And if I don't look at him, he's he's not getting the whole picture. Right. You know, if I'm, if I'm just casually tossing a lead rope towards him as I walk away, I'm going to confuse him because that's, that doesn't mean anything to the horse. That's like, what the heck are you doing? You're telling me to move and leaving. Um, So I've been doing that. And the okay. first few, probably the first week or so, he he wouldn't even move away. He would just kind of park himself and go, what are you doing? He didn't mm-hmm. understand what the question was. Because yeah. you stand at the gate and you get caught. It's what you do. Right. So there was a little bit of a learning curve and I had to refine my body language a lot because, of course, I'm not very good at it. So I got that refined. And each time I got it better, I could have, would have to go back and read and watch the videos again. Each good. time I got yeah. better at it, he would respond better. And this past week, um, something that finally started to click, um, when the horse is still, and he's still, and you want him to follow you, you have to get into his right eye's visual field, and then come Mm -hmm. back across and walk away so he can follow you. Ah, Across the body axis. Across the body axis. Those are the words, cross the body axis. But I didn't have a a good handle on that process without creating a lot of other body language cues unintentionally. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. So I was doing things with my body completely unaware that he saw as signals. So it was like I had two voices talking at him at the same time. And once I (laughs) finally got that body language down, I didn't have a lot of extra stuff that I could first move him away. And then he would turn towards me and he, he would stand. He wouldn't move. I have to get in across that axis so he'd get into the other side and then start to take the step away. And I have to use, most of the time, I have to use my hand with closing my hand and bringing it towards my body. Okay. And I crossing have to, it or something, softening it. Softening. Mm-hmm. I have to start out with open, then crossing it towards my, as I turn away from it with my shoulder. And Good. start to take two steps away. Um, I have to get those two together. And he follows me straight back towards the center of the pasture. And he's just happy as a clam, strolling along, going, cool. And he's not turning his ear back on, oh, my gosh, I'm not going in for food. Oh, my gosh, I'm not going to the other horse. He's completely confident. Sure, I'll hang out here with you. Put my halter on. And I turn him to leave the pasture. He walks with me. He doesn't walk in front of me trying to get to the other horse because he's going, cool, you're my human. You're you're part of my herd. You understand what I, you understand my language. I can trust you. And it's really, really cool. Oh, I love that. I love that, Jen. That's so great. And you're getting that inertia because you're not only giving him the right, crossing that body axis, we should explain is that's what the moms teach the babies too. Um, People may not be aware of it, but flight animals, even deer, they have a permission slip from their mom (laughs) through body language because people know that they're silent as well. Deer and horses, um, the, the moms teach them to, it's a survival mechanism to stay where they are. And there's an invitational gesture that most flight animals that I know about anyway, all have it where they say it's okay to move now. And uh, I mean, some people go ahead and study the little deer that they just flatten down on the ground, flat as a pancake. They can be within 
you know, almost, you can almost touch them and you can barely see them and they learn to hide these things. So this body axis thing is something that's been discovered. Um, and dad teaches it uh, in all his courses because it is such a phenomenal way to really test your body skills and you're doing it beautifully. And, and sometimes people have to correct, like if you're holding a lead in the opposite hand away from the horse, it starts to dangle a little bit and you don't know it. So maybe have a friend sometime, Jen, you're doing it great, but have, you know, listeners, Think about all the different signs because there's probably one little sticking spot if it's not working for you. That exactly. the horse is not that's getting what to. I did. Mm-hmm. I had to keep going back and watching the video, yeah. and I would, I would, I have to be super hyper aware of where my body is, just so yeah. I can be more aware of it. Not so much because I need to change it. First, yeah. I have to be aware of it. I yeah. can't, I can't change something I'm completely unaware of. I mean, more yeah. cognizant of where my eyes are, where my shoulders are, where my hands are. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, how my shoulders, um, what angle they are to the horse. And I've, as I become more aware of it, I said, oh, maybe I should adjust that. And when I get it just right, I can mm-hmm. see the horse going, okay, I can see a little light bulb. You got bulb. it. <laughs> and, and then first time, the first time something like that happens, the little light bulb comes on. And he goes, okay, yeah. I think you've got it. I think you've yeah. got it. But then it'll take a couple of more times that I get it right before he goes, okay, I trust you now. She really does know this language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's not willing to give in right away. And I think that because he's not an overly confident horse, he's mm. not willing to give me that trust right away. He's not going, ah, oh, sure. I got gotcha. you. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I like my little pony friend. You have to prove yourself and then I'll trust yeah. you. My pony friend. <laughs> my little pony friend. And it's funny, a little the two-legged little, pony. The little, the little pony friend who chases him, bites him in the mm. butt, mm. but speaks fluid horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly there you go. you're so cute you're so cute no that's that's really exciting i mean people sometimes people do little things where they flick their fingers a little bit you know or um they they flutter their eyes a little bit it can be the tiniest thing and it, we're making it sound so difficult but it's it's really not it when when the horse has had you know confidence factors taken away from her or whatever he just was born that way um, we have to work a little bit harder but if you've been with a horse a long time they understand you they get you they give you a lot of leeway on these things they but do yes <laughs> if you yeah if you really you know but you're new with nigel so it's all a learning curve for him yeah, to to, yeah. to convince him that you really do know the language so it's that, fun that, people I should I'd have start from fun square one that. that way it's like well before i go um before i buy into poor body language communication with him mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. just start anew why learn to speak bad english when i can learn to speak good english to, to get to you know, from the get-go and That's it's right. really paying off because he, he's not a he's not a trusting guy and he's really trying hard and he tries harder each week i can see him going, you know i think i'm gonna try a little harder and i'm loving it good Yay. good you're you you're, you're, you're your language is good. Your mom did a good job of teaching you language, and so is Monty. That's good. <laughs> mom, sp- mom taught me English. Monty taught me horse. That's right. No ain'ts in here. And yeah, we're not talking. Um, well, we're going to have some fun today because um, we're going to hear a little bit from a barrel racing couple, Lee and Hallie Hansen, who are crap. And I hear you had a little barrel racing experience yourself. So tell me, tell me what your thoughts are. Did you lose your hat? That's Back right. in the day, barrel racing. Oh, of course, the hat falls off. Yeah, the hat goes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Back in the day when I was a little kid, uh, yeah. we grew up with lots of naughty ponies. And yeah. We were kind of backyard horse kids, so we just climb on them bareback like little Indians, as they used to say. And 
barrel racing was one of the classes we would always go in at the local little pony shows. And invariably, we would get to the first barrel and get around that. And then usually the pony would um, turn his head left <laughs> and his shoulder right. And we'd go through the finish flags before we even get the second, fo- second barrel. Yes, in tropical force. <laughs> You're just God. Right? And that's how we barrel race. <laughs> You were trying to stay ahead of the barrel when you. <laughs> we were just trying to stay on. Oh, we love so you're barrel. bareback on these uh, ponies. You um, doing? Oh, at home, absolutely, absolutely. Nice. Now at the horse show, they required us to use a saddle, but we were Probably terrible barrel racing kids. We were so bad, and we'd pull on the little ponies, and we'd kick and kick and kick, and it's no wonder they wanted to run home. <laughs> bad. Just point put the barrels in between them and the stable, and see that's how it would work. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to hear from some professionals on this. Yes, I'm, this. Cr- I'm very excited to hear about them because these aren't just barrel racers. These are folks who are very serious and produce some beautiful futurity barrel racing horses. They do, and that's it. They're, they're not only wonderful um, performers and competitors, but they also they know from get-go how to breed a horse and get them happy and, and partnering with them in this job that is called racing as fast as you can around three barrels and out the arena. Sounds, you know, tough on horses, but this is the future. Um, the, the way they treat these horses and how sweet they are and loving and, and healthy and partnering is just, um, this is something to be emulated. So Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Our first guest, Desiree Smith-Johnson, began riding at age six and by eight was a U.S. pony clubber in Virginia. She found fox hunting at age 10 and she rode to the hound side saddle, side saddle, competing in the International Horse Show in Washington, D.C., Successfully competing, coached by her mom, Dorothy, Desiree began preliminary level at 14 and placed third in the junior internationals at that level. Desiree spent the next four years achieving her intermediary level at 16 and advanced level at 18. Desiree has been a successful three-day eventer. She's galloped racehorses. She taught combined training and was an instructor at the Los Angeles Equestrian Center and other centers in Southern California, too. Her career has included modeling, membership in the Screen Actors Guild, Japanese and Korean styles of karate, and even competitive billiards. <laughs> billiards, wow! <laughs> Throw that one in there. In 2013, Desiree and her husband, Eric, bought the struggling Smooth Stride Riding Jean Company and has now found a wonderful balance of working jeans, horses, and teaching with her husband, Eric, in Orange County, California. Well, welcome, Desiree Johnson. I'm so glad to have you on the line, finally. Can I call you Des? Thank you. 
Yes, you may. Thank you. Very nice. To, I'm very happy to be here. My gosh, we've communicated by every means now. I think we've texted, we've emailed and everything, but we really even haven't sat down and had lunch yet or done anything. And you're now living in Orange County, California. I am. I get my key. I do the walkthrough, the final walkthrough this afternoon, right after this interview. And I, I believe I'm getting the keys tomorrow. So I am, uh, today's a good day because my kitties, I have two big fat hairy barn cats that I brought with me that have been boarding. I go and see them every single day, but um, the mommy and me needs to get those cats into their new home. Oh yeah. But I bet you have your horse all bedded down and like all figured out on that, right? Yes. And he is loving his new place. It's quite, it's quite different from what we're used to. And uh, he's settling in nicely. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you got him figured out. That's, you know, the husbands will be last, of course, (laughs) but we'll get everything. Yeah. And he was, and he was organized a year ago. So that's how long I was working on finding a place for him. So, so long as the horse is happy, then you know how it goes, girl. That's nice. That's so sweet. Well, we wanted to have you on because you're such a multi-talented teacher, business owner, horsewoman. And I wonder what it is about horses that keeps them in your life. Oh, it's a, it's an unexplained drive I have. I, uh, you know, I've heard other women try to explain it, but I was just born. I was born to work with horses. Um, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be an expensive thing. I could, I could be fine with having a freebie in a dinky place. I'd make it work. It just would, you know, on a shoestring, which I've done many times. So it's just um, something that's in me that will never stop. Well, it's great. Uh, we're lucky to have you in the business, and I can't believe how many different kinds of horse industries you've you've been involved with but we'll get to know you a little bit uh i hope in the next few minutes but um one of the things that i think has been really important is in your life it seems is your mom she seems to be a strong influence in your life and do you guys still talk horses when you talk oh absolutely yep yep we are the epitome of the mother daughter um horsey mother daughter team literally um and to, and to this day, we talk every day, and uh, I tell her everything that goes, because she bred the little horse that I have right now, and so uh-huh. it's uh, just a real special thing to hear how he does every day, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, fantastic. Where does she live now? How far away is she? She lives in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, not too bad, so you're not too far away. You can pop over there. Yeah. Maybe she should come mm-hmm. here, though, this time of year. <laughs> Tucson gets a little warm <laughs> this time of year. It's a beautiful city, but it is it is warm. Mm-hmm. So so um, I'm excited to hear uh, some about the growing up. The You went from fox hunting to, was it three-day eventing after that? Yes. Yep. I uh, Mom actually was one of those gals that wanted to ride when she was young and didn't have the opportunity. So when she grew up, she was a young 30 year old, her second marriage. And my stepdad was a, uh, from Alabama and he played polo. And so they bought a farm in Virginia, actually not to start off with, they kind of, he was uh, a lawyer in DC. And as he climbed up the corporate ladder, we'd get a little farm and then we'd got a little bit bigger farm and then we got a little bit bigger farm. Nice. And, uh, 
she, uh, when she started to ride, she um, went to the Potomac Horse Center, and actually some of her very first dressage lessons were with Nuno Oliveira, and she would come home and give me that exact same lesson on my little pony. Oh, great. Yep, and I started off uh, a little hunter jumpers, little hunter shower, and um, bought my pony. They bought me a pony for Christmas. I was one of those with the bow around the neck. <laughs> and I got a little bored with, I got bored with that real fast. Both of us got bored with that real fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, and we decided to, uh, join the pony club and I started pony club at gosh, I think I was eight. And then my stepdad bought me a pony without talking to mom. And <laughs> he bought me a two-year-old little cob, don't, you know, a little mutt type pony. Mm-hmm. And they let me Five years old at that time was the age limit and needed to be at least five, but they let me take a two-year-old. So I was nine years old with a two-year-old oh. and in pony club. And that was the start of my eventing journey was, uh, you know, through pony club. And then mom, right? yep, mom saved up grocery money and bought Foxy. Um, and he was um, half lip trotter. Morgan, half man of war. And a quick, interesting story about that. It was at a, a Morgan breeding farm and the um, mayor, the, the, the Morgan mayor would have nothing to do with their count, their, their, their Morgan stallion. So they had a stallion they were, had retired for, for friends and used him as a teaser. Mm-hmm. And she liked the teaser better than the other guys. So out popped Foxy. And he was a half-bred sitting in a field when mom found him bought him and he turned into her fox hunter and she's the one who took the lessons from Nuno on and as I got a little bit bigger um, she started working with me on Foxy so Foxy and I started very young together and mom was mom was coach she did all the driving she i she actually, I rode side saddle. I fox hunted side saddle, um, not on Foxy, but I hunted on free. So it was that little black pony who became a, an incredible field hunter. I was um, junior master twice, yeah. and uh, that pony would lead the field over anything, really? anything. But the pony didn't like to event. She liked being with the herd. She would. She just didn't like leaving everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was nice having Foxy because Foxy was he had the go button. He was the one that would just say, hang on, honey. Yeah. And, and try to rate me properly. Cause as I got a little bit older, well, he would literally jump me out of the tack. I fell off so many times. Mom, <laughs> mom would say, Des, you've got to try to stay on honey. But he, he would, his jump was so huge and I was so little that, um, anyway, so I finally got stronger and, and, uh, so that's wow. another question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's trial by fire. That's amazing. His heart was bigger than his body. That's cute. Amazing. Yeah, that because that's a tough sport. You're a brave, you're a brave little nine-year-old to do stuff like that too. And green on green means black and blue, you know. So that was just <laughs> that's just the way it works with the young horse and the young bodies. But you guys are fearless. So at nine years old, who's gonna tell you to stop, right? That's right. It, right? You know, it's, it's tough to tell a nine-year-old horse crazy kid to stop doing anything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that they're loving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. was a monster. I was a monster kid. I was just, um, I was uh, just bigger. I was bigger than life, just a, a big little girl. And um, so the horse, he, he and I made a real good, t- and I was a show off. 
you know, <laughs> and that mom was behind the scenes. She didn't, she didn't like the nerves. She didn't like to compete. And so we made the perfect team because I was all about, you know, which brings me into uh, my pull, being pulled in by Wofford. So uh, Alexander McKay yeah. Smith was in our hunt field and he um, started noticing me and mentioned to Jimmy, um, you know, local gal that he, whatever. And I was a little bit too young um, for Jimmy to take me on until Al- Alexander said, take her on. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy said, yes, sir. <laughs> and so uh, um, a f- interesting story is, um, of course, when I went to Jimmy, not of course, but, uh, you know, I'm this cocky, cocky little hotshot. And he wasn't getting through. And so I'm not sure if it was the second or the third lesson, but he asked permission from mom to get through to me. And this was one of the biggest lessons I've ever had in my life was um, walking in a 10 meter circle around Mr. James Wofford while he had a conversation with me. (laughs) And it was hard. It was hard, but he got through all the layers of the young teenager. Cause then I was, gosh, was I 13 or 14? Can't remember 13 oh. or 14 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, blubbering, but still on top of the horse. And then, uh, we started and we started working together and we, we, uh, made it to the world championships together. He got me there. He got me and the horse there. And, uh, that was a huge lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you became a teacher after that too in your adult life. So that lesson probably has has served you well. Yes, and that also was interesting because after the World Championships, um, there was a, a, a it was that was a hard time because my mom and dad divorced my mm-hmm. my second my second dad. So here I am um, on my own, and you know life gets in the way sometimes of riding and riders and plans and all of that. And this is just one of those, those times where it, it really got in the way I had, uh, I was asked when I was 16, if I wanted to go to Foxcroft to private school, or if I wanted to try to work to make the farm and equestrian center. And of course, what's a 16 year old going to say? So I wasn't prepared for college. Mm. I was uh, looking for, towards the Olympics, which were two years after the world championships. Oh, yeah. And I had first string, second string, third string babies coming along. One of whom uh, later on we sold that went to Rolex. So I would have had the horse flesh, um, but they divorced, sold everything. Mm. And I was given one of the homebred babies and, um, I was on my own, literally on my own. Now, of course, I still had my mom and the support and the love, but all the money, and this is before Young Riders, this is before the internet, mm-hmm. and, you know, back when you look for you look for jobs at the back of Practical Horseman <laughs> magazine mm-hmm. to try yeah. to find a job. So mm-hmm. it was, um, that's when I, well, in order to be able to get strong for, um, the world championships and just for eventing in general, I galloped racehorses, the Middleburg training track. And that's, that was another huge um, part of my growth as a rider. Cause I rode babies and I'm not sure if, and Debbie, you mentioned some, you've got a bit of racing yeah. track background with your, well, yeah. dad, for sure. I mean, uh, my whole growing up, uh, that segment of dad's, uh, career was really in the thoroughbred business. And I was even thinking, uh-huh. perhaps we even know some of the exercise riders that have come through that went on to be jocks and, and did 
or trainers and did wonderful things. But what you were in Virginia then? No, where were you? I was in Virginia, Middleburg. Yep, Middleburg. Now this was uh, this was before the World Championships mm-hmm. um, where I trained with Barb, and that was to just get some. I needed to get really strong. He needed to do something to make me to give me an edge, and he does. He actually that's part of what he his system. Um, he encourages his riders to gallop. And there was this lady that would take his students on and take them under her wing. And um, so that was my summer job for two summers in a row. And then so when I was on my own after the Worlds, um, I went back to what I knew that I could do for to earn a living. And so mm-hmm. I galloped racehorses in Aiken, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um and then anyway, what happened was, is I moved back to Pennsylvania and uh, it was cold. It was six degrees and I was cold. I was uh, just so tired of being cold. So I moved yeah. down to St. Simon's Island and I got a teaching job from a uh, uh, wanted ad, the back of Practical Horseman magazine. <laughs> and is. I realized uh, that I didn't know how to teach. Now uh-huh. I was a bee pony clubber and I knew I had all the riding, all the credentials, but to get my A, the world Championship way. So I missed my A because of that whole selection process and all that. Mm-hmm. And I should probably talk to you a little bit about Foxy at the World Championships, but uh um That's but quite a I story. realized I didn't I didn't know how to teach. And so this uh, gal from uh from Georgia offered me a job. She kind of stole me away and then uh she taught me how to teach and it was a system, a lunch line system she had, you know, a little routine. And that was the beginnings of me learning how to teach. And I taught um, a college, you know, a group of college gals. And I've been teaching ever since. And that system, her name is Kay Normant. And I believe she was a friend of Wofford's. And that system has been my, you know, because every instructor kind of has their their spiel, you know, that mm-hmm. they, you have to have a whatever. And so, uh Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you've been teaching ever since you're still teaching now, if you have an opportunity, right? Yes, I still have my, uh, well, I've, I've got my insurance, so, um, I can teach anywhere in the U S right now. I'm not currently right now, just because honestly, the genes are taking up so much of my time. So, so, so if you had a preferred student, what, what would you teach them right now? What would you, I'm, I'm all about eventing. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to, to, uh, you know, the, I'm an event. I, I love to coach. I love to take riders and hold their hand through the whole process. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things is when you're new to eventing, if you don't have somebody who knows the ropes, you make too many mistakes and you waste too much time mm-hmm. because there's so many rules. And, you know, so having somebody to uh, help you through that for at least two, three, four events, I think is invaluable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've got, I've got to ask, since you came up through the eventing ranks, um, similar time period as I did, when you, you went through the Jimmy Wofford school of eventing, mm-hmm. which is, um, it, it creates a, t- a very self-sufficient, tough and well-rounded writer in mm-hmm. today's current, um, eventing culture, the eventing sport is really, really changing very rapidly right now and by necessity in order for it to continue to thrive. Do you think that there needs to be a return to the Jimmy Wofford school of eventing 
coaching in that we're, we're not creating or st- are we creating, still creating the well-rounded eventing rider that we used to because the sport has changed. We don't have four phases anymore. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. a very, very um, shortened version of what cross country used to be. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are focusing a great deal on the technicalities of show jumping and the technicalities of, mm-hmm. of dressage, but a lot less mm-hmm. so on cross country. And by necessity, a lot fewer people are spending time on the cross country course or in the fox hunting field because it's mm-hmm. no longer available. Mm-hmm. Do you think that right. is something that the sport needs to return to, or do you think that no, those no, I think I think yep, I think everything is going along well. What happens is is that you're right. The emphasis on the dressage and the show jumping has bumped up a lot, but that just makes the jumping better. That makes the cross country safer because you've got a better trained better gymnasticized horse. Now, Jimmy was always about not, uh, you know, he really wanted his horses to, to, to think for themselves out on course. So he had, a, there's a difference about a horse that <clears throat> does dressage only where their, you know, their brain is literally hooked back up into your brain. Mm-hmm. And he likes his cross country horses to really be able to get out of a problem on their own, sort things out real caddy like, mm-hmm. but that being said, you know, with the, the introduce and, and the the warm blood movement coming in that makes the dressage better, the caliber of riders. You know, the one thing about being a, a, a an athlete that does three different disciplines is that I love dressage. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm not one of those event riders that just gets through the dressage so they can go out and have their jollies cross country. <laughs> and I'm watching a lot. I'm seeing a lot more event riders bump up their game because literally you win it in dressage and you lose it jumping. These mm-hmm. days you can't be in fifth, sixth, seventh place after dressage and then still expect to come up after the jumping. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm less, thinking less everybody, so, yeah. uh, you know, I'm seeing everybody doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're right that the, the days when you could be in 10th place after dressage and still have a really good chance at winning the competition, at, at least when you get up into the three and four star levels, are pretty near gone. Um, yep. you're, you're right there. And it's it's fun to watch. And there are several four star international eventers here in the United States that also compete at the Grand Prix international level, either in show jumping or in dressage, and sometimes yep. with the same horses. So it's really kind of cool that they've taken that on and really are taking the best of all three sports and yes. putting it back into their eventing mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. Yep. That cross training, you know, that, that crossover um, just gives you an edge and every edge you could pot these days, man, you have to have an edge because the, the, the sophistication and the athleticism um, in all three dip- disciplines has just bumped way up you know the course designers for the show jumping it's crazy now the 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 bending lines and the you know it's just uh just so different from from what i grew up with you know mm-hmm. it's a very and, very different sport there's no doubt about that yeah and the variety of horses that we're seeing in the three-day eventing is amazing too i mean you're seeing the off-the-track thoroughbreds that are doing so well at rolex and you know these hugely hugely difficult um, courses that are amazing that they can do that. Um, now, is are right. we go, are we going to see Desiree Johnson uh, up there at the CICs anytime soon? Or you? Uh, 
<laughs> you know, I, uh, I learned a hard lesson, um, this last 10 years, you know, I was out, I, I was out of riding for a little while, um, in California before I moved up to Washington state and I hung up my spurs for about 10 years and worked corporate and, um, just, I was a struggling, struggling, uh, equestrian for so long. Um, and, uh, I bought, when I came back into riding, I bought a horse, a nice young Oldenburg thoroughbred, big guy. And I thought that if anybody could do it, if anybody could take a horse novice, I could, mm-hmm. if anybody on the planet could, I could. And I fell in love with this horse cause I had been off for years and I had, you know, I've gotten back into riding and honestly, I wasted too much. He was, he was chicken. He was a chicken Mm. and I never had any time uh, or never had any jump faults. He never refused, but I couldn't make the time. He would see something in the horizon, whatever. And not on the middle of the field, he would just stop dead because he had to look at it. And I was a little stubborn and I thought, you know, I can work through this. I can work through this, but I learned a big lesson and, um, that's not going to happen again. So that being said, I'm at an age now where, um, I want to listen to my horse and I want, because I know that my training is sound. I know that I know what I'm doing. And if I do what I do best and the horse has it in him, he will, he will come up and rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't, it's not because of me. And so the, I have this young horse and I'm going to do my thing and we shall see now Mm -hmm. having to do with the big stuff again. Um, I'm back down in English country. I was up in Western country for, for 11 years and uh, not a lot of opportunity for me to take lessons from somebody. Now there was a dressage instructress in Walla Walla, which is a, you know, over an hour drive. And she was, mm-hmm. she was a judge and she was great. I loved her, but jumping wise, I really didn't have anybody to hold my hand and school me and crew for me once the jumps got really big. So that's changed because I'm down, I'm down in jumping country now. So, and I have a very athletic, well-bred young guy and I'm still knock on wood, very, very fit and mm-hmm. sound for riding. I've, that's one thing, um, my, my intense respect and passion and love for Mr. Wofford is, is that I have stayed in riding shape my whole life, even when I wasn't riding I was running just saying Jimmy I'll I'll be ready I'll mm-hmm. never not be ready and so the real high level I'm not sure it all depends on on the critter <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't sound like anybody's going to stop you I, I uh exactly. yeah you're going you're to take that horse to his fullest potential but to whatever yeah whatever right. you're able to you know and, and you said something that I think is important it's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about this and, and get and have people know what you're about. And you said that you listen to your horse. So mm-hmm. I, I so appreciate that. It sounds a little vague to some people like, what does that mean? Listen to their horse. But I bet you could sum it up in a couple of sentences. What does listening to your horse mean to you? Um, I try to focus on what um, I'm doing with them that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. And if they're enjoying it, then rock and roll. If they're not enjoying it, if the ears are back or they're not going forward or 
they don't want to, you know, anything negative, any, anything, you know, I sit back and I, 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 I go over my training schedule and I go over all that. And then I think, you know, this horse just, he just doesn't think he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to do that. And I have been on so many horses that now it's just natural. It's just instinctive. But the lesson I heard, I learned with this other horse was that I have to let my ego go because it's not all about me. It's about the, them being available. And if they're not available, then there's nothing I can do as good as I am. Um, now maybe Philip Dutton could have done something with this horse, but I'm not Philip Dutton and I'm a little, I'm a little lady. And, um, but yeah, they horses that from the minute I put them, even when I put them in the grooming station, if, if they don't like a certain brush, I'll get another one. Mm -hmm. You know, I listen, I look at them. I look at their body language. They talk to me and I know they appreciate, I know they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I just, I can tell. That's why we love you, Des. That's awesome. (laughs) I appreciate that so much. You know, because uh, it, to be a competitor at the level that you're at and above, it takes that. If you're not listening to your horse, if you think you can just force them into tractor mode, good luck with that. <laughs> you know? No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So proud of you, little lady, as John Wayne would say. Thank you. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. my, uh, this is an important question to me because I wanted to ask you, now that you're in Orange County and you're at the Orange County Fairgrounds, which I know is, uh, you know, surrounded by Costa Mesa and cities and everything, where are you going to go trail riding now, lady? Well, um, it, a Galway Downs, I do believe has some trails around it because I, there was a, I have a Facebook friend who was out on it. She, he boards across the street and he said that there are some trails up there. Um, but to be honest with you right now, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I, but I have my trailer I've got my, my rig, my truck and my trailer. There you go. So once I get set, yep. Once I get settled in my home, I'm going to start sniffing out places to go to. Now I know I do want to go there when I start my cross country schooling. Um, mm-hmm. I have a friend who has 4,000 acres out in, uh, um, Tehachapi. I know it's a bit of a hike, but I could go out there and live in my LQ for three, four days and, yeah, that sounds and awesome. do that. But, um, there are, you know, people are eventing down here and doing it very well. So there's gotta be a, you know, a way to pump hills. If there is, I'll find it. You'll find it. <laughs> I'm not worried about you. Well, we'll have to have you up to Flags Up Farm sometime and you go around the race I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, good. Okay. Because we're going to have to talk racehorses sometime and, um, you know, some of the... Oh, and I didn't I didn't tell you that I galloped racehorses. Um, when I did move to Cal, I had to tell you that I did gallop at Hollywood Park. You and did? I did. I galloped horses and these weren't babies. These were the big boys. <laughs> and I have to tell you a quick, a quick story. Yeah. Um, just the second day I was there... Um, they put me on a, a horse that uh, I needed to breathe, you know, go whatever. And um, anyway, I uh, there was a runaway on track, and you know, when the runaway, <laughs> and I was torn to shreds that first that second day. I couldn't move, but I was so still so young and and uh, resilient that it with it the next day I popped right up and I was ready to do it again. And I got to break out of the gate and to breathe some real race horses. And that was, that was incredible. When I first started, I couldn't pick up one of the straw bales by the end of the session that I was there. I could not only pick it up, but I could walk it down the shed row. Good girl. Oh my gosh. You know, pound oh for pound, I think you exercise riders and jockeys are pound for pound 
the strongest athletes on earth, bar none. So proud of you. I'm in hearts. Uh, you know, that muscle is pretty, pretty big too. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are brave souls, brave souls. A lot of fun. Well, we're going to have to compare some notes with some people. Gosh, Shannon McCarty, Allison Booth, Satish Simar, some of these people who were, um, at the track when, uh, back in the time when you were too, we'll probably know some people. Yeah. Yeah, fun. Well, it was great having you on. We didn't even talk about those beautiful jeans of yours that make everybody's uh, backside look so nice. But we're so glad that you're down here with your business, um, Smooth Stride Jeans, and uh, we'll have a link to them on the show notes. And uh, what, what's the website that everybody should go to to see what you're up to? It's www.smoothstride.com. I have a little, uh, this is what they look like video, so you can actually see them on a body in lot, you know, lot, you know, lot, it's a video. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're, I'm in charge now of, uh, manufacturing. Eric's put me at, not in charge, but I'm in training. So I went and met, met sewing contractor on Friday mm-hmm. and I'm organizing our uh, fourth production run. And they're just, they're, they're being received extremely well. Uh, Western riders, uh, that are, have been starving for riding jean that they can ride that a real blue jean they can ride in and yeah without I'm that so easy. happy I'm so happy mm-hmm. too I bought mine then I bought a couple of my best girlfriend horse friends uh, a couple and uh, I, I I can tell you that we just live in them it's so nice yep. yeah. and they're so nice yep. they're they're a dark blue too I like the blue and everything I just wore them all the way to Dubai South Africa and back and that was no short trip. <laughs> And they, they practically stood up by the time I got home, but <laughs> they were so comfortable the whole time. I loved them. Cool. So people should check that out. All right. Well, Desiree Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you, lady. A lot of fun. Thank you. Fun. Thank you so much. We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition, but why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax-based products provide a balanced essential profile of Omega-369 and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horse Shine. Omega Horse Shine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Field, says any horse I ever own, I will feed them Omega Horse Shine and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega Horse Shine today at omegafields.com or just for our listeners, get 15% off using the coupon code MONTY2015. All one word, it's MONTY2015 for 15% off your next order at omegafields.com. That's omegafields.com. 
Lee and Hallie Hansen train and compete on barrel fraternity horses and have horses in their blood. They start four- and five-year-olds into competition, which has honed their horsemanship skills to the championship level. They are trainers, agents, breeders, and competitors at the highest levels, and they love their horses. Well, welcome, Lee and Hallie Hansen. I am so glad to have you back. We had you, for for listeners who haven't heard the episode 39, they should go back to that and listen to the um, first time we got to talk to you because you guys really do have a unique and very current approach to barrel racing and barrel fraternity horses and bloodlines and all that. And I've heard Hallie's had a bang-up year so far in 2016. Is that true? Yeah, it has been really uh, going well for us this year. So we've had some really nice horses and um, they've been placing all year along the way. So it's been really well or good so far. Yeah, good. Yeah, I've got, I mean, you had to name some names here too. Because, I mean, basically you guys, uh, we've told people that you start four and five-year-olds into competition. So you really are hands-on. You don't just get some pre-made push-button horse that, uh, you know, you pay a lot of money for. You guys are actually building these horses. And tell us something about what, how Margarita Red Reed is doing. I saw a fabulous photo of her. Yeah, Margarita Red Reed, she has been doing really well this year. She uh, placed at the slot race in Oklahoma City. That was her very first run. So she was a three-year-old there. It's the first of December. And it's a $100,000 slot race. And she placed uh, seventh, I believe. And, uh, she placed in Arizona. She made the finals at Fort Smith, uh, recently and was fourth there. So that's a pretty prestigious fraternity Mm -hmm. to even make the finals at. And she ended up fourth and, uh, Lee and I had owned that mare and we recently sold her as well. But, uh, so it's been pretty fun that we actually get to own one and go on with it. So. Yeah, so a lot of them you get to the competition level and then they sell to somebody else, or do you often start them in the competitions and then and then somebody who falls in love with them? Usually, most of our fraternity horses uh, sell throughout the year. At this point in the year, I think we've sold four out of the six that wow. we have going. Um, traditionally, the new owners will want Hallie to finish the year on them, and then they'll take them after. That's not always the case, but I would say, you know, 75% of our fraternity horses are sold at some point through the year. So yeah, Hallie, Hallie trains them, starts competing on them. And once they start winning, the phone usually starts ringing. Oh, well, I guess that's good and bad. Do you, do you like feel good and bad about that, Hallie? How does that feel? Um, I should, you know, sometimes it's harder than others to let them go, but, uh, as long as, like with Rita, Margarita Red Rita, uh, we get to keep her through the year and run her. And that was kind of my goal was to at least get her uh, seasoned enough to where someone could get on her after I was done and continue winning on her. So th- that's my main goal. It makes me so happy to see horses that I've trained uh, go on with somebody else and be able to win in uh, the rodeo arena or, you know, just at the bigger uh 40 barrel races even. So it's really rewarding to see that uh, continue. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's like your kids, you know, they're going off and and getting married off sort of. Yeah. I I think the only difference is, you know, when we start these horses, we start 
off knowing that they're going to leave here someday. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we don't start them and think, oh gosh, this horse is going to die here. You know, that will fit for 25 years. And so it is always a little sad, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, uh, it's your business business decision. Um, when, like Hallie said, when you can go and see that horse, have a good home and continue to win for years, it just builds our program even more. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. It's, you know, you keep a little, I suppose 5% of your heart locked up, but, uh, <laughs> but it is, fun. it's fun to see them being shared, recycled out there and used, repurposed and everything too. Tell yeah. us too about Trace Movidas reserve champion. I've, I'm looking at my notes here. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, she, uh, Trace Movidas, she's owned by uh, a man named Tom Jacobs and Avita is what we call her. She uh, had, she was reserve champion at Kinder Louisiana at the Lance Graves fraternity. And it was actually very surprising to us because she had not been at very many events prior to that. And so we were more than thrilled with the outcome there. And she's just, she's really been a strong contender all year for us. And she also made the finals recently at Fort Smith. Um, I hit a barrel on her in the short round to be really good, but uh, she's just a really neat mare. She's out of, uh, she's a blazing move, which her mother went to the NFR in the barrels. I don't know how many years, but Christy Laughlin ran her. So oh, yeah. um, she's bred to, to do it. And she's a fun one to have around. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And you've got somebody who's rooting for you in the stands, the owner too. So that's fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I'm sure, are there other horses that we should mention here that I, I didn't hear about? Tell me about the, how it's been going this year with others. Um, I have another horse that I won the slot race on in uh, Arizona. His name is French Streak and Jest. He's a red roan stallion um, that I I'm running for Barb and Tom Westover. He has not been to many events because he got, I've ran him at about five deals so far because he got hurt at one of them. So we've had to give him a bunch of time off, but mm. we're getting back on him now. And he's already won more than my other horses uh, huh. just in the five events. But um, so we're getting back on him, getting him ready to go the end of July and we're hoping for really good things. So, mm-hmm. good, good. Yeah. And, um, so I got to ask, I'm, I'm thinking about injuries. You guys must have like a machine with the horses that you have at that high level. What's, what's your program? What do you guys, what's a day look like for you guys? What's a typical day look like here? Yeah. What's a program that's, I mean, I don't want to hear all your secrets because that would, <laughs> I wouldn't ask that question. You can't but give away all of our secrets. You can't give away all your secrets, so keep a few. Um, but what, what, I mean, what makes you guys, year after year now, you're producing, you're young, but you're producing champions year after year, and you're training them up. So what's the program? You know, we're really consistent with what we do. Um, I would say every day, you know, we get up, we feed at the exact same time. We're pretty neurotic about it. They get fed at 7.30. Not a minute later, not a minute sooner. Um, <laughs> we let them finish breakfast as we drink coffee or exercise ourselves or whatever we're doing in the morning. And then by nine o'clock, we are saddling. And really, Hallie and I are the only two that ever get on the horse's backs. Um, we don't really have anyone else loping for us or riding for us. It's just the two of us that do it. And so we've learned 
what they need. And I, I warm up everything for her. So before she rides any horse, I always ride it first. Mm-hmm. And um, Hallie works them around the barrels when they need it. And, you know, at this point in the year, I'd say, you know, they get, they get ridden, you know, four or five times a year, next year's horses, or mm-hmm. four or five times a year, four or five times a week. Day. Uh, a week. Okay. Go on freestyle exerciser the other day. And Hallie might work them fast once or twice a week until they learn, you know, what they're doing and know where to put their feet. And she likes them pretty solid before we take them places. It's just her way. Some people kind of haul them to let them see the sights as they're learning. I'd say Hallie likes them to know what they're doing before we go anywhere. And so once they start looking pretty sharp at home, we start hauling them with to just open jackpots and barrel races to do time only or exhibitions just to get them used to the crowds and not having a ton of practice time. They kind of just have to go in and do their job and um, we can fix whatever falls apart at home. And yeah. um, once they know their job, we don't really work them fast much at all at home. And we just start hauling them. And I think one thing that, that I've noticed really riding with Hallie is she just always does the same thing. And she's very patient with her horses, whereas if horses aren't working good or they're having a hiccup, Hallie doesn't change the head stall or a bunch of stuff. She just consistently does what she does and lets that horse come back around to the way that it's been trained. Granted, there are exceptions when a horse may need a different bridle or whatnot, but um, I would say consistency has really paid off for us. Yeah, that's good. That's good for horses, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, their their brains are fragile. Um, you know, they they seem to like a a real pedantic. I've even heard some trainers saying, you know, that I teach, uh, not me, that that they teach uh, the like one lead at a time. Even you know, people seem to be backing off and really getting pedantic about their routines. Is it like that in the barrel racing as well? Um, I would say I. I basically, I try to keep it simple for them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they learn off a repetition. So I do a lot of repetition and just try to keep things simple. Like I, I want them to know the pattern and I don't want them to steer off the pattern. So I don't, I don't do a lot of drills off of like around barrels or anything like that. I basically go to the pattern and teach them right where I want them to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For example, I, we have a horse, yeah. we have a horse right now that's kind of struggling, like crossing over and just making that move. And so like, we're working him off the fence a lot more right now before she goes to the pattern. So we get him moving his feet the way that we want to, so that when he goes to the pattern, it's easy for him. It's not like a stressful thing that we're trying to get him to learn a new move around a barrel when he can't do it off the barrel. Right. Yeah, great, you guys. That's excellent. Excellent for the horses, and obviously you're getting the results. So that's true. Uh, you talked about feeding routinely on time and everything, too. Do you have a seasonal feed? Do you change your your um, feed up for competition and not competition? How's that go? We don't. Um, you know, we feed our performance horses straight alfalfa, and then grain, you know, we feed woodies. So we either feed the fraternity horses uh, sales prep or the younger Colts Paturity 18. And then mm-hmm. our, our supplements are always from Omega Fields and mm-hmm. we don't change anything. I think that, um, I think it's just part of the consistency. Our horses get the same thing. They're fed at seven thirty and four, uh, mm-hmm. and their hay stays the same and their grain stays the same. Um, and okay. I, I think it all is a big, big part of the, the program. 
Yeah, good. And and when you travel, do you find water issues when you travel where you where you guys are going through the mid, you know, the middle of the country mostly? But um, do you find that you do you do electrolytes in the water or anything like that? I'm getting all your secrets here today. <laughs> I mean, do they have any issues with being off water on water? I know that's so critical for horses. Well, we have some that are probably I would say better drinkers than others on the trailer. Like when we stop and mm-hmm. uh, give them water, you know, through the mangers or whatever. We have others that are better drinkers, but for the most part, ours drink pretty well on the road and we don't really put electrolytes in the water. You know, we might add some to the feed if it's going to be somewhere where it's really hot and that they're not used to. But for the most part, ours, as I feel like as long as they are comfortable in their environment, they are more likely to drink. And so if we've prepared them before we haul them on big, long trips, they usually are good drinkers. Yeah, well said, Hallie. I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, Jen and I were on the uh, communications this morning talking about how important it is to keep that adrenaline down, keep our horses happy, keep them calm. Everything seems to work better (laughs) on those days. when they. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Absolutely. Good. Well, where will we see you next? Where can people, let's see, this this episode will be coming out uh, in about August 1. So where will you be in August so people can come find you? Um, I will be at the Cornhusker Fraternity in Broken Bow, Nebraska. That is not too sure on the dates. I know it's the middle of August there. And okay. then uh, we go to the Five State Fraternity in Rapid City, South Dakota, then we will go to the FizzBomb fraternity in Gillette, Wyoming. And then we head to Utah to a fraternity. And yes. then we're going to go to Copper Springs. We haven't totally figured out our schedule yet, but I think we're going to go to the Copper Springs fraternity in Bozeman uh, too there. But let's just say there will be plenty of places to yes. see her in August and September. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. No, I can't exactly tell in you where feet. yet, but. But yeah. we'll be a lot of places. That's okay. We'll have to follow. We, we will put in the show notes uh, your Facebook pages and how people can track you down. But you you know what? Just put your names in the Google and find you guys are all over the place. So Absolutely. I, I appreciate you slowing down long enough to give us a quick interview. And it's always fun to catch up with all your success. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Bye now. Whisper. Listen, you don't have to say it's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, My horse will not allow you anywhere near her with clippers. If they are running, it's impossible. If they're quiet, you can come close but not touch. What can I do? Monty's answer. A useful approach to dealing with a horse that has a fear of clippers involves desensitizing to a hairdryer. Your horse will become familiar with the sound of an electric motor, feel no pain from it, and actually enjoy the warm air it produces. When answering this question in demonstrations, I advise people to give the horse a bath and then dry the animal off with a hairdryer. It is a good idea gradually to direct the flow of air towards the head, ears, or wherever the fear of clippers is evident. This procedure will be effective for head-shy horses as well. 
Once your horse is standing quietly while the hair dryer is producing a flow of warm air into the ears, you are ready to begin to massage the ears with one hand while you handle the hair dryer with the other. The next step involves recruiting an assistant to deal with the hair dryer while you do the clipping. With the dually halter assisting you, it is important to remember to back up to an acceptable area of work anytime your horse becomes resistant to what you're doing. Make your transitions slowly. Respect for your horse is essential, and they have a right to test all of these actions as you move through the recommended procedures. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, August 1 through 5, coming right up, the Monty Special Training at Flag is Up Farms in California. Then August 22 through September 2 is the second annual now Gentling Wild Horses Course at Flag is Up Farms in California. Then September 9, 9 we have Horse Sense for Leaders. That's a fun one at the uh, at the school down in the um, corporate area, we have a nice classroom and we take them out to the round pen. So that's our corporate module on Friday. And then on Saturday, we have a night of inspiration. And that's a, a dinner and a round pen demonstration and and telling stories around the campfire. It's really fun. Ooh, is September there s'mores? 10. Are there s'mores involved? Oh, we always melt some horrors. Oh, yes. yes. Love those. And then September 24 and 25, we have a riding with respect, and that's join up in the saddle. I, I, I really I need to see that. You do? Yeah, I really it's need true. to see that. Yes. And for Monty's calendar and lots more information, you can go to Monty Roberts' website. That's MontyRoberts.com. Or you can talk to a wonderful, live, helpful human being right there at Flag is Up Farms by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to the website, horsemanshipradio.com, where you'll find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And we love to hear your feedback. It helps us make the show better. So follow Monty on Facebook, Monty Roberts on Facebook, and you can leave comments there. Or you can follow him on Twitter. That's right. Monty Roberts tweets. It's Monty underscore Roberts. And go get the app. You can have all of the radio, Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go by using our free app for Horse Radio Network. Go to your iTunes or Android app store and just search Horse Radio Network. I love the app. Everybody should do that, especially if you're lazy like me. So It's, <laughs> it's so quick easy. and easy and convenient, and you don't have to remember to download anything. It just does it's it for right you. right there on my phone. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Keeps me going. I use that in the car. I love it, you guys. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. We've got IFA.com, Omega Fields, and Monty's Equus Online University. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too. They're so much fun on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. 
Till next time, have many happy horse hours.